Good evening and welcome to the Dollar Dogs and Beer Podcast. I am your host, Andrew, and we've got the whole crew back this week as Joe is back and Jason has returned from the one-week IL and his back is feeling better and he is raving and ranting and, uh, boy, he's got a good one for you later, guys. How are you guys doing? What's up, Jason? Hey, guys. It's good to be back. I missed you, boys. Uh, I'm very excited to uh, be back and I... Just cannot wait to get to this later as uh, we talk about a few things from the umpiring side. Yeah, the, the thing that makes baseball both wonderful and alternatively incredibly frustrating all at the same time, the umpires. <laughs> Joe, how about you, bud? How you doing? Uh, I'm hanging in there. I'm, I'm trying to recover from the disappointment of the last week. Um, you know, we'll get more into that later. Um but yeah, can't complain too much. Yeah, it was definitely the last week was not a banner week for any of our three teams, as we will uh, touch upon later. There's not really a whole hell of a lot for any of us to talk about from the uh, series from this past week. So uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, uh, Joe, since I have you unmuted right now, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I am going back. I'm switching off a of beer. I'm going back to um, Evan Williams and Coke. Um, as the great Denny Greenwood said, I found out this week, the Cubs are who I thought they were. So I'm <laughs> going back to what I am and not pretending I can drink beer on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah. When you drop three out of four to the pirates, you kind of know who you thought you were. Um, Jason, what are you drinking this week? Yeah. So a uh, couple things here quickly. Um, first off, you'll notice. This is not a baseball hat, so I have to support the Sixers, you know, in game five tonight, trying to shut out the Raptors, uh, move on to the next round. And I have a Lancaster Barnstormers jersey on right now just because season opened this past weekend, so got to support the local Atlantic League. And then tonight I am drinking a Miller High Life because I see the word high and I think that has to be the reason Angel Hernandez is so bad. <laughs> he has to be high or drunk or something to be this bad. <laughs> or both. Could be both. All right. Tonight, guys, uh, from Victory Brewing Company, I am trying out the Berry Monkey. It's a, a fruited sour triple. Uh, not a sour, sour monkey. So for people who don't like super sour beers like I do, that's a pretty good in-between. A little past a tart, but not quite a full kick-in-the-tongue sour. So, uh Good option for uh, you know people like my wife who don't like those full, deep, sour beers. All right, guys. So uh, first, let, let's start with happy things first. Uh, Miguel Cabrera, man, 3,000 hits. Welcome to the club, Mickey. This has been a long time coming. Uh, long been one of my favorite players to watch, even though I've never had the pleasure of seeing him on any on any team I happen to like. Um, he is the seventh player all time to hit the 3,000 hit mark and 500 home runs. He's the first Venezuelan-born player to hit the 3,000 hit mark, the seventh Latino to hit 3,000 hits, and he's the third player to get the, to 3,000 hits while uh, playing for the Detroit Tigers. Um, Ty Cobb and Al Kaline being the other two before him. So uh, freaking phenomenal. And I think he only had like 840, 850 some hits with Miami. So very much a, a Detroit Tigers achievement. Um, 
Uh, guys, uh, M- Miggy's just, he is one of the great faces of baseball. He's an ambassador to the sport. You know, he, he's not a guy that's going to get fired up over little things. He encourages his teammates. Uh, you know, I have never once heard, you know, when a guy leaves a team, you know, with the sour grapes, you never hear anything about Miggy. I, that's, I, I'm so happy to see him finally get 3,000 and uh, to do it at home, too, in front of his fans as well. Uh, you know, especially when uh, the Yankees pulled that crap, intentionally walking him in the eighth inning because, you know, I, I, I get it. There's a little strategy there. You know, they didn't want to give him the chance, but at the same time, it's 3,000. Like, this is a major milestone. We're not talking about 500. We're not talking about 1,000. We're talking about 3,000. This is a benchmark that doesn't get hit very often. So, you know, at least he got it at home. That's I can leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and Andrew, that's why I don't really think that the intentional walk is that big of a deal. Um, it was, it was what a, a one nothing game at the time, and you know, it's not about the individual achievements. The Yankees are trying to win a ball game, so milestones be damned. Honestly, uh, the Yankees are trying to win a ball game, um, and honestly, like with with that, you know, that is the strategy. Any manager would have done the exact same thing, whether, especially if there were if there wasn't sitting on twenty nine ninety nine. But the good thing about that was the Tigers were at home the rest of the weekend uh, against the Rockies. Odds are he's going to get it, and he did. So I I really don't think that the intentional walk is that big of a deal. No, I, and I do tend to agree with you there, Jason. I, you know, I just would have liked to have seen him have the chance. But yeah, if you look at what was going on in the game at the time, it, it's it, it's not like they did this in the first, the third, the fifth. You know, it's not like Barry Bonds every time he came up was getting walked every time because nobody wanted to give up the uh, the home run to pass Hank. So, quite a bit different. All right, uh, Joe. Anything else for you about Miggy? I mean, it's it's a fantastic achievement. I mean following him a little bit closer since, um, you know, I follow the White Sox a good bit. Um, he, he's been fun to watch in the AL Central for all these years. Um, I, I agree with you guys. I don't think the Yankees – I mean, the, the Tigers would have done the same thing if if someone they were playing was at 2999. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with there from a strategy standpoint. But it's an exciting achievement. It's fun to see it. And it, the countdown starts to whoever the next guy is. Absolutely. Uh, who is the next? I, you know, the funny thing is I just looked this up. There is nobody within, uh, there's nobody close. It's going to be a while till we see somebody else at 3000. It's, it's like 800 hits or so that the next person is, is away from, uh, probably wonders if we'll even see that within the next five to 10, like it's, it's going to be a very long time. I think until we see, another 3000 hit member. If we even see another 3000 hit member with the way that careers are these days. I think we will, because the way offenses is ex- are exploding, I think we'll see it eventually. It's not going to happen quickly. Uh, the next, the next highest active player, I obviously Pujols is above Miggy at 3308. Um, behind them though, would be, let me see it. Robinson Cano's at 2631. So outside op- outside chance that in the next couple of years we could see him get there. Um, beyond that, I think really the next best chance, if he wasn't 40, would be Nelson Cruz, but 
He's only at 1924. So I, I think our best chance right now is probably going to be Robinson Cano. So I don't, okay. I don't even think he's going to be the next, he's going to be our best chance because he's already 39 years old. Yeah, um, that's true. So uh, unless he plays until he's 45, which I mean, sure it can be done, but what's the, where the quality of his at bats going to be and things like that. So I don't even think Robinson Cano is going to get there. Hey, with the universal DH, anything is possible, whether we like it or not, which I still don't. All right, guys, moving on. Uh, Roki Sasaki, his streak finally ended on the first pitch. After two straight games of perfect baseball, one of which was a perfect game, uh, the streak finally ended. That was 52 consecutive batters he retired. Um, he was much more mortal yesterday. Uh, he went five innings, allowed two earned runs, three walks, hit two guys, gave up six hits and four strikeouts. So uh, uh, it might be time to work on a third pitch besides just the uh, fastball splitter combination. It sounds seems like they're finally starting to get a hold of that. Um, I, I did look a couple different new. I looked at ESPN, MLB, a couple other places. It looks like it is unlikely that he will be posted for MLB clubs this se- after this season. So. Our, our wait will be a few, probably a few seasons at least until uh, I, I don't know if his home club will hold him the whole length of time um, because I know after a certain number of years, I don't remember what it is, but um, players can elect automatic free agency and be able to come over to MLB on their own. So that's usually teams will keep them like up to that threshold, then post them so they can get some money back. Hey, it's the economics of the game. It's just a different variety of um, service time manipulation, you know? All right, uh, moving on. So the we had some issues in uh, the Bronx this past weekend. Uh, we had a little, the Bleacher Creatures, the uh, fan group of the Yankees that, you know, they always start by calling out all the Yankees players until they acknowledge, you know, Derek Jeter, Derek Jeter. You know, my mom loved to go up to Yankee Stadium and hear that. You know, the fact that Jeter was her favorite player, you know, added on to that. So Saturday night, um, we... Saturday night, um, there was a double hit out into the wall. Stephen Kwan was running for the ball. He ran hard into the wall. Uh, he was shaken up pretty well after that. Um, and then uh, the fans started getting into it, started throwing things onto the field. Um, the the big uh, the big guy involved from the Guardians was uh, center fielder Miles Straw. He actually jumped up the fence and got into a face-to-face confrontation with at least one fan. Um, apparently a nearby fan was also heard yelling derogatory comments back at him. Um, and Oscar Mercado, the right fielder, he was also pointing up at the stands right before uh, Straw climbed the, the fence. Uh, Francona said after the game, quote, I don't think people can throw stuff at our players in the field. That's never going to be okay. Um, th- on Sunday, the Yankees did increase security down along the bottom edge of the, uh, like down at the very bottom near the fence. Um, and the worst that happened was they were cheering, they were chanting cry baby at Miles Straw because uh, he called the Yankees fan base the quote, the worst fan base on the planet after, you know, everything went down the ninth inning. So I, it, at least this at least it looks like the Yankees were able to get the right security in there. They kept things under control on Sunday. Uh, why things got to this point on Saturday, I, you know, I I love going to baseball games. I love going to sports games period. I don't think 
outside of a very, very, very few occasions, I can't think of a game where something happened that made me angry enough to consider throwing crap out onto the field. I'm a pretty hardcore baseball fan. You know, you guys have both watched baseball games with me. I'm not quiet by any small stretch of the imagination. But I've never understood why you throw things on the field. Joe, Joe, what do you think about all this? A lot of this goes back, and we were talking about this with the Dodgers last week. Fans fans buy a ticket, and they think it gives them a license to be a complete jackass. And I'm so freaking tired of this. It's ridiculous. Like, watch the game like everybody else and move on. Like, you know, you want to have a beef with somebody in the parking lot? Be my guest. But don't do it in the ballpark. Like, this this crap's just got to stop. I mean, you know, I'm not surprised it was Yankee fans, but, it, you know, regardless of where this happens, if this happens in the bleachers at Wrigley, I'd be pissed. It's It's just dumb. Knock it off. Exactly. What about you, Jason? Yeah, it's just completely unnecessary, uncalled for. I mean, and this is like, I'm a Philadelphia fan, and I've seen what the reputation is of this fan base. And the thing that kind of drives me nuts about this is how I know that if if it was a Philadelphia fan base that did something like that, it will be constantly news for more than just the 24 hours that it was uh, this weekend. Um, and people even bring it back to, I mean, I'm even doing this a little bit now, like they compare them to the Philadelphia fans when uh, it, there's no place for it in any fan base uh, and in any sport. It's just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, to your point, Jason, we're still talking all these years about the time that the Eagles fans booed Santa Claus. Not just booed him. They threw snowballs at well, him. Right, right. And, but- and and the thing is with that, though, people don't look at the backstory of that, which is it wasn't just Santa Claus. It was a guy who was drunk dressed in a Santa costume. You know, so it's it's not that the Philadelphia fans, like the Eagles fans, were, I mean, Granted, I like I'm I can't stand the Eagles, and I understand the the like the reputation, but people need to look at at the entire story here, and it's that Philadelphia fans they they threw snowballs at a drunkard dressed like Santa. So, to be fair on that point, uh, who was actually still sober at that point in the football game in that entire stadium that wasn't a child? Not very many, if any, people. Um, and to another point, Philadelphia has fairly earned that reputation by doing things like throwing batteries down on the field, too, at players. So we we, we kind of expect this with Philadelphia fans. I mean, I remember many, many, many years ago when I was at um, the opening day. Actually, this might have been the – no, it wasn't the last home opener of the vet. It was after that. Um, it was the Citizens Bank Park. But I was at one of the home openers – um, when they were playing the Pirates. 
And I had enough. I, I was just wearing my chipper jersey because, you know, I always do because I like to stir the pot. Q Joe playing the uh, Salem the Cat meme. And uh, my, my buddy John was with me and he was wearing a pirate shirt. He's actually a Pirates fan. So, you know, it made sense for him. We had enough quarters and stuff thrown at us from the upper deck that we didn't pay for any of our beer or hot dogs that day. Honestly, worth it. <laughs> But that I that I expect though. If you're if you are a fan of a rival team in the rival stadium, you got to have some thick skin when you go in. I mean, you know, I you shouldn't be assaulted. You know, looking back at the Brian Stowe incident from way back when, but you know, a little verbal abuse. Yeah, you know, I can I, I can understand that, especially when you have a whole bunch of drunken idiots on both sides yelling at each other. Well, and the thing with that, too, is like they still should have been throwing things at you. Um, so I'm not going to justify that. But it wasn't even a Braves game and you were wearing a Braves jersey, too. So my guess is that had a little bit of something to do with that. Um, and considering it's Chipper Jones, who usually hit the Phillies pretty damn well. Yeah. Um, I know we just, I loved I loved yelling Larry whenever the Phils and Braves played each other. Um, and I was and I will say, Joe, I need to give Cubs fans a lot of credit um, because, and I know every sports, every fan base has some outliers that just are awful. Um, but a few years ago, I went to Wrigley just two weeks after deciding that my best friend Dave and I were going to go. Um, we drove out through the night, uh, got there in the morning, did a stadium tour, saw the game, which it was the Phillies and got deep dish pizza, drove back through the night. Um, and I wore all my Phillies gear because I'm like, Hey, you know what? They're actually playing the Phillies. So I have to support my team. And the Cubs fans could not have been nicer. Um, we were sitting with a, like just surrounded by Cubs fans and they were like, Oh, it's your first time out here. That's awesome. Make sure you go here to get, you know, like your first timer certificate, uh, make sure you go look at this, go look at that. And like, they were sharing their peanuts and popcorn and whatnot with us. Like it truly the Cubs fans that day made that experience just so amazing because it was the way that Dave and I were able to cross Wrigley off of our bucket list. That's awesome. I, we need more fan bases to be like that, honestly. You know, let, let, let's highlight the good stuff and uh, maybe that'll help push some of the bad stuff away and make it a more enjoyable experience for everybody. To be fair, the Cub fans were losers long enough that you've kind of <laughs> developed a camaraderie with, with other fans to be like, you know what? They're here to have a good time. We're here to have a good time and, and drown our misery. So um, it, it works out pretty well. Well, plus, speaking of misery, I mean, it is the two teams that hit 10,000 losses before any other teams in baseball. So just saying. All right. And on that uh, shake of the head from Jason, we'll move They're on. They're also two of the oldest teams in a league, so it makes sense. Uh, two of the oldest, but you know what? They're not the oldest continually operating franchise. That would be the Braves. Thank you very much. As I said, moving on, we've got the uh, Royal City Connect uniforms are released. These are these are interesting. I don't I'm not quite sure how I want to rate them yet until I see them on the field. Um, so it's a tribute to the city's iconic fountains and art art deco architecture. 
The uh, sleeve logo is an homage to the team's original franchise logo from 1969. Um, the triple braiding on the sleeves is reminiscent of the uniforms in the 80s. Uh, the new number styling is a reference, again, to that Art Deco architecture. There's um, Paul Lucas of UniWatch. He last week had shared... Um, uh, it, it's a logo representing like all the fountains and stuff in the city. And it, it's very much based on that. I, I kind of, to be honest, that part, I really kind of like, um, you'll never see this, but inside the, uh, inside of the, uh, collar, Hey, 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 Hey is stitched. Not to the Royals victory song by Paul McCartney. Um, so here's where I'm not so sure. They decided to go with Navy blue instead of powder blue in a reference to the city's baseball history, because the, the A's, the Monarchs, the Blues, the Blue Sox, the Packers, all the teams that played in Kansas City at one point or another, they wore navy blue. So I, I kind of wish they would have gone royal blue just because there have been so damn many navy and royal, royal or powder is just so iconic with the royals. But I, I can understand why they went navy. Um, and then the uniforms, they're going to debut on uh, April 30th against the Yankees. Guys, what do you think of these uniforms? They're definitely interesting, and I feel like I feel like in the idea of bring of combining the city and the fan base all together, I think they did a great job in the design. Uh, Jason, go ahead, bud. Yeah, these are some of my favorites, actually. Um, I think they're very sleek. I I know you're kind of you go back and forth as far as the navy blue. I like the fact that they went with the navy blue as a nod to their their baseball history. Um, and yeah, they, they're just very, they're not over the top. They're very uh, natural looking and it's just a very nice overall design. Crisp, I think is the word you were trying to think of. It's, it, it's a crisp cut design. Uh, Joe, what do you think? Yeah, I really like these two. I think, um, you know, when, when you explain all the history behind it, too, because I don't always look that up. I look at the picture more so, but it really ties it all together. I like the fact that they did put some of that powder blue in the in the cuff, I think, at the bottom of the sleeve. Um, there's some of that powder blue. Um, I think they did powder blue belts and they did white pants. I think it really looks it looks sharp. It's a nice combo of, of everything. Um, you know, it's not too much blue like we've seen with the Dodgers, the Cubs, and some of these other uniforms where it's been a ton of blue. Um, so I really like it. It's a nice look. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just the only thing I don't like with the Navy is the utter proliferation of Navy, especially from teams that don't typically use Navy in their color. Uh, the Cubs jerseys come to mind really quickly on that one. Um, Joe's absolute favorite City Connect jersey from last year. But um, but Jason, you're right. At least at least the Navy has a purpose this time. It's not just Navy for the sake of being Navy. Um, and yeah, I, I really I really hope they don't do Navy pants. Please do white pants because that will look so nice. Um, I didn't see any pictures if they made spe if they had stance make special socks that nobody will see because players for whatever reason don't like to go high cuffed anymore. I really wish they would go back to that. I love that look. Um, anytime I'm playing MLB the show, my road to the show player is always high cuffed with stirrups because it looks better. It just does. Or the stance socks. I, I can go either way, but it has to be high cuffed, not low. 
All right, guys. So uh, moving on from the from those jerseys, we had a record set over the weekend. Uh, Byron Buxton set the record for the longest walk off home run in the Statcast era, hitting a 469 foot homer off of a Liam Hendricks fastball. That is uh, Buxton's second walk-off home run of his career. His first one was in 2017. For the game, he hit five RBIs, and the exit velo on that sucker was 111.8 miles per hour. Let me repeat that. 111.8. Holy crap. He said said after he hit it, he couldn't even figure out where the ball went because it went so far, so high, so quickly. Boy, is that not just the greatest way to uh, pimp up your own home run and make it look even better? <laughs> oh man! So yeah, that that was a no doubter off the bat. <laughs> I was I, I had that turned on, I think, live, and and I'm like, oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> like, he, Hendricks, I think, was was high by like six inches, and it was just like, good lord. It was a terrible pitch. It was oh an absolutely terrible mislocation Just, pitch, and it got destroyed in one of the most beautiful possible ways it could be destroyed. I mean, it, think back to playing backyard baseball, and when you got the uh, steel bat power up, you know how the moment the ball hits the bat and you know, goodbye, you're never going to see that one. That's what that reminded me of, even though it wasn't a steel bat. Uh, holy crap. It may as well have been. Good Lord. Yeah. I mean, that was all the way up in the in the third deck. It was nuts. If he would have had a steel bat and hit it that hard, I think it wouldn't have come down until it hit like Albuquerque or something like that. I mean, that was utterly a night. Like that might have actually passed Jorge Soler's World Series home run ball in orbit on its way to the moon. So <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, holy crap. All right, so uh, let, let's look at some milestones. I, I decided since Mickey hit the big one, let's look at some other ones coming up. Um, we got a couple guys getting close to 2,000 hits. Nelson Cruz is 76 away. Um, Andrew McCutcheon's 160 away. Kutch, I don't expect him to hit that this year. Uh, Nelson Cruz c- should. I, he probably He'll probably hit that at some point this year. Pujols, he only needs seven more hits to move into 11th place all time. 12 to move into 10th place all time. And then to get to ninth, he'll need another hundred. So I'm not going to say it's outside of the realm of possibilities. I just don't know if he's going to get enough games this year to have that opportunity. Um, I I would love to see him crack, crack all the way up to ninth place. That would be pretty awesome. Um, Miggy five more hits and he'll be 31st all time. So he'll keep, I'm sure he's going to have that uh, probably by, May or probably within the first week or two into May. Um, home runs. We got a, a couple getting close. Uh, Stanton is one away from 350. Robinson Cano is 15 away from 350. George Springer is one away from 200. Um, if Pujols can hit 15, he will get to fourth place all time and he will pass the uh, wonderfully hated Alex Rodriguez. Miggy, he is uh, two away from 27th place all time. Um, oh, Austin, we will be hitting that later, bud. Jason's got a special rant queued up for that one. Um, for runs scored, Freddie is 20 away from a thousand, Mike Trout's 21 away from a thousand. Pooh Holstein's five runs, and he'll be 13th place. 
um rbis yachty is two away from a thousand freddy's 50 away from a thousand goldschmidt 68 away from a thousand so we should see all three of those hit this year i would think um he, here's a crazy one joe albert pujols if he hits 61 rbis he will pass babe ruth for second all time talk about a record that i wasn't sure we would ever see go down um to pass hank he's going to need 143 i don't see that happening He'll retire before that. Um, and uh, Miggy, four more. He'll pass Frank Robinson for 21. Looking at the pitchers, Max Scherzer, he will hit 200 this year. He only needs seven. Clayton Kershaw should hit 200 with 12 if he can stay healthy. Um, Adam Wainwright, again, if he can stay healthy and the Cardinals can bother to give him a couple runs. Uh, Adam Wainwright will hit four. Uh, he's 14 away from 200. For strikeouts, uh, Bumgarner's 39 away from 2,000. Uh, Max Scherzer, he only needs 42 more to pass John Smoltz for 17th place all time. Kershaw needs 80 more to move into 25th place. I'm sure he'll get that. Um, Craig Kimbrell looking at saves. He's at 375 right now, so 25 away from 400. And he only needs three to pass Joe Nathan for eighth all time. Um, he'll probably get hit Eckersley this year to this year too at 390. And then Kenley Jansen, he only needs five to trash to, uh, excuse me, pass Troy Percival for 12th all time. So guys, those are uh, some milestones I think we should see achieved this year. And for our, our, you know, a couple of our guys who are at the tail end of their careers um, that are just working their way up the leaderboards, uh, I, I, I think we'll be happy to see that happen. I personally, I, I'm honestly, the fact that Albert Pujols is as close as he is to Babe and Hank for RBIs is just incredible to me. Um, did you guys, could you guys think of any other milestones coming up? I, I think I got all the big ones. I, I didn't even bother to look at stolen bases because if you're not a Marlin, nobody steals anymore. No, I mean, I think a lot of these could be fun to see, um, pool holes, see what kind of year he has and how many of these he gets to, um, the fact that we're looking at Kershaw who doesn't have 200 wins is just already is kind of surprising to me. Um, I mean, 300 used to be the huge benchmark for pitchers. Now it feels like 200 could become that benchmark with the way we use pitchers now. I don't know that we're ever going to see another 300-win pitcher. I, I don't even know about 250, to be honest with you. It's just, yeah, it, they just don't rack the wins like they used to. Yeah, and the thing we need to also remember with Kershaw is he's had quite a few injuries that caused him starts and wins. Um, the, the, there is a milestone that I'm kind of keeping an eye on personally. Uh, Gene Segura for the Phils is sitting on 99 home runs. So okay. he, so he is one away from hitting that, uh, century, uh, milestone. Yeah. He'll, he'll definitely hit that probably within the next couple of weeks, I would think. Yeah. I mean, and he, he's not known as a power hitter. So getting to 100 is, is pretty significant for, for a guy with not as much power as he would want. Yeah, but considering he plays in Philadelphia and as it warms up, that place turns into a launching pad that anybody can hit a yeah. home run out of. Yeah, he'll get yeah, it. Yeah, and I will gladly take his batting average and the RBIs and and defense over the power. There's other guys that can hit hit the long ball. So Yeah, exactly. All right, let's uh, let's move on to our teams. I'm going to hit the Braves quickly. There wasn't a whole hell of a lot to talk about. It was not a good week. Um, first, they dropped two or three at the Dodgers, and this was the last three games of 14 straight to open the season because uh, 
yeah, I, what the hell? I know this sucks. Anyway, game one was a 7-4 loss, but it was the reunion for Freddie and the Braves. Freddie actually said after the game, it was the first time he'd seen a lot of the guys since the uh, parade. So that was nice to see. Um, Freddie had his, of course, hit his first home run as a Dodger off Waskar Yanoa, who uh, continues to be utterly ineffective and was sent down to AAA, thank God, because, uh, yeah, he's terrible right now. Um, for the adorable moment of the day, Charlie Freeman, uh, Freddie's oldest son, saw Dansby and ran across the diamond during the pregame to and jumped into his arms to give him a hug before the game. I mean, you know, it, we always like to talk about the impact for players when they move when they move franchises and things like that, but we don't often get to see the impact on the family. Uh, but Charlie's there, you know, when Freddie was the Braves, Charlie was there every game he was always there and it, it it's cool to see that you know he still remembers his his uh buddies from atlanta too and uh, i'd love to see atlanta draft him someday that kid's got a great swing chipper said if i had a swing at that age i could have caught hank <laughs> um it uh, otherwise that was an uneventful game for the braves uh bellinger hit a home run for the dodgers uh heredia and albies both at homers off kershaw but they were solo shots because the Braves are going Harper style this year. At that point in the season, 14 of the 15 Braves home runs had been solo shots. The only At that point, the only multi-home run hit was Austin Riley's two-run shot in the opener. In the opener. Um, Kershaw, not a great game. Five innings, four runs, six hits, seven strikeouts. But it was his 100th victory at Dodger Stadium, so that was pretty cool. Um, game two, Atlanta took that 3-1. Max Freed laid the lumber down seven innings, two hits, eight strikeouts. Darno had a solo home run. RC and Riley had RBIs. And uh, Kenley Jansen picked up the save. That was his first against the Dodgers. Um, he, here's, and this is something I'm going to talk about towards the end here. Braves out hit the Dodgers 12 to 2, but they only got three runs. Um, Walker Bueller, not a great game. Five innings, eight hits, three earned runs, a walk and two strikeouts. And the Braves finally kept Freddie under control for the only game in the series they would do so, holding him over four with two strikeouts. Um, in the third game, it was a 5-1 loss. Freddie hit a two-run homer and went three for four in the day. Bellinger, two for four, double, triple, and RBI. Uh, Charlie Morton hasn't had it yet this year, guys. Uh, five and a third, six hits, four in runs, three walks, four strikeouts, whereas Gonsolin looked phenomenal. Six innings, a hit, three walks, two strikeouts. Um, the Braves did have a good rally in the ninth going. Um, Ozuna and Olsen hit back-to-back doubles in the ninth with two outs to rally, but that fell short. And again, Braves hitting not timely, three double plays. Uh, moving back home for the Marlins, they won game one, three to nothing. Kyle Wright, he's been utterly dominant and has been the bright spot of the pitching staff so far, although it looks like Freed's starting to turn it up. Um, he struck out a career high 11 batters, retired 11 straight at one point. He only allowed four hits over six innings. He's got a 106 ERA after three starts. Olsen, two RBI double in the seventh, and Jansen picked up his fourth save. Um, Jorge Soler, this was his first time back in Atlanta since signing with Miami, and the fans gave him a standing ovation before his first at bat, which he promptly slashed up the middle for a base hit. Uh, game two is a back and forth affair. Jazz Chisholm, absolutely phenomenal. Um, he was a triple short of the cycle, four hits total, three runs, two steals, three RBIs. Uh, the Marlins, because of course the Marlins had 14 hits in a back and forth affair. Spencer Strider, he finally came back down to earth. He didn't get recorded now, gave up two hits, two walks, and blew the 7 6 lead. The bullpen in this whole game, they gave up six runs. 
Uh, Ian Anderson had a nice start that got wasted because of that. Uh, McHugh and Strider both blue saves. Joe, Jesse Chavez, thank you for sending him back our way. Two innings, two hits, five strikeouts to finish the game. No runs. Um, and honestly, though, just bad pitching by the Braves. Seven walks total. Um, now, Dickerson hit a two-run homer, so that was good. He's had a bunch of hard-hit balls that just keep getting caught. Um, and again, it finally broke up that horrible streak of uh, 16 consecutive solo home runs, which has, which is the longest streak Atlanta's had since at least 1960 for straight run of solo homers. Albies Riley's also had homers. And game three was another 5-4 loss. Uh, Garrett Cooper was hot. He's Cooper's gotten on base safely in 12 out of 14 games for the Marlins. If he keeps that up, that's going to be huge for them. Uh, he really gets their offense going along with Jazz Chisholm. Um, the Braves were down 5-1 in the ninth. Olsen is sack fly. Riley had a two-run homer off Tanner Scott, which chased him. Um, Luis Head came in, and uh, he allowed Ozuna's double, but then he struck out Duvall and Rosario, uh, two guys who really need to get their bats going, as Duvall's in the low hundreds, and Rosario is uh, under 100 right now and needs to get that up. So, he, you know, here's the thing. The Braves went one for 12 runners in scoring position that last game, and uh, Darno's not throwing anybody out just like the postseason. Uh, 13 out of 14 guys trying to steal the season have reached safely. I'm still not super concerned. I'm frustrated. I'm not super concerned because I'm waiting for Acuna to come back. Once Acuna comes back, he's going to lengthen the lineup. He's going to push everybody back a spot. He's going to... He's going to be protected because he's got guys like Olsen behind him, Ozuna behind him, Albies behind him, Riley behind him. And it's going to let it's going to push Rosario down. It's going to push Duvall down, give them a chance to rebound. And it's going to help the defense so much. The outfield defense has been uh not quite Philadelphia bad, but it hasn't been good. Um, Ozuna's got a noodle arm in left field. He can't he can't throw out a fly. And uh Rosario He's not terrible and right, but he's not great and right. So, I, again, I'm not stressed out. The Mets are playing well. I, the Mets will fall back down to earth like they always do. Um, do you guys have anything else that you noted from the Atlanta series? Joe, nothing. Jason, nothing. I want to pull up something here because you're going after the Phillies and their defense. And I'll when... continue to do so. Uh, I'm pretty sure that aside from Alec Bohm, uh, which which since that three era game, he's been really solid. Um, just because I'm curious to see who. Let's see here. Uh, the Phillies are middle of the pack as far as errors, team errors per game. Um, they are 15th with uh, the White Sox are last with 1.2 errors committed per game. And let's see who else is in here. Let's see where our teams are. Uh, Cubs are tied for 10th with Milwaukee, the Giants, and Boston at 0.44. Atlanta is 0.41 in eighth. Um, San Diego is 0.12, and they are the leaders as far as not committing errors. And the Phils are at basically half an error, 0.5. They are tied for 15th. So bash the defense all you want. Their defense is actually not that bad. After one month. 
still not that bad. It's going to get worse as the season goes on. I promise you that. We'll see. <laughs> What's I think, up, I think, the, I think the Padres' first error happened, I think it was yesterday or, or Saturday. That's that's quite a long time to go without an error. That's pretty impressive to me. That's but. that's extremely impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do agree with you, Jason. I don't think it's 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 definitely not as bad as it as it's made out to be. I know it's a month in, but still, um, you know, I, I don't think it's as much to worry about as we've been led to believe. We'll see. Um, two comments I want to hop back around on. Um, Austin Young wanted to ask. Are there any teams you guys think stick out record-wise that are better than their record shows? Uh, several. Uh, I think Atlanta is better than their record shows. And again, I think once Acuna gets back, um, I absolutely think things are going to turn around there. Um, you know, one of the interesting ones, and this is jumping ahead a little bit um, towards hot teams, the White Sox are 6-9 and nine right now on a seven-game skid. And... They are much better than that. I know they are utterly decimated by injuries right now, unlike any team has been hit. So, I mean, they're down, what, at least two starter starting pitchers. They're down a couple of guys in the field. Um, and I think that's going to turn – I think the White Sox are definitely going to turn around. I don't think the Twins are going to stay on top of that division for um, uh, till the end of the year. Um, other teams uh, – I'm just peeking at the standings quick. Um, there's a couple that I can chime in while you look, Andrew. Yeah, go ahead, Jason. Um, I mean, it's definitely a homework pick here, but the Phillies at at six and nine, six and ten. Um, where are they? Six and ten. Six and ten. They're they're better than six and ten. It's it's early yet, so I'm not overly panicked there. Um, the other team that I'm there's, I, I think the Astros are better than their record shows. They're listed at seven and eight. Um, I think they are absolutely better than than that record. And I know I have them in fourth place, um, and they're currently sitting in fourth place in the AL East, but the Red Sox at seven and nine, I think some of that is just tough division, but they're better than that record. Yeah. Um, Austin, that's a great question. I, I'm going to go back to what I've been saying every single episode so far. It is too early to panic unless you're one of the bottom third teams that has no hope. And by bottom third teams that has no hope, I mean the Pirates, the Reds, the Orioles, the Rangers, the Royals. You know, these teams know who they are. Um, uh, Let's put the Diamondbacks in there, too. Um, It's... If, if, If the Pirates are fortunate enough to play the Cubs 162 games, they would have hope. (laughs) <laughs> i mean other than when they occasionally give up 20 runs right and uh, and austin actually replied with a really great point um yeah the the orioles they're six and ten but their bullpen has been lights out so far this year um the the problem here is one they're they're starting pitching especially now that they've lost john means uh for tommy john surgery and uh, I mean the the batting and they're not getting runs. They're not producing, and yeah, ex- Austin exactly. Um, they're just not getting the runs for their pitching staff, and and the bullpen is just fantastic right now. Yeah, 
It, it's crazy. You know, and I actually, I, I feel like I said something about this last year after the Braves Orioles series. Um, even though the Braves swept that series last year, it wasn't an easy sweep because we could hit their starters. No problem. Cause we, we didn't see means, um, but their bullpen was tough. We had, we weren't able to do a ton of damage against the bullpen last year. Um, uh, Jason, do you, do you remember that from when you guys played the Orioles last year, if you were able to do much off the bullpen or not? Cause I feel like their bullpen wasn't horrific. That wasn't their problem last year. It, knowing, it, it, knowing the Phillies and their habit of playing down to the teams that are bad. My guess would be, no, they didn't do anything against the bullpen. <laughs> Or but, any other part, <laughs> but but I I don't know offhand. Yeah, just just the overall impression I got from watching those games. Um, and again, the Orioles have a ton of pitching that if their idiot ownership would decide to bring up now that you lost your ace to Tommy John till probably the middle of next season, this team could you know potentially make some noise if they would bother to do that. But God forbid, why would the Orioles do that? All right. Um, and then, uh, Joe, you had mentioned that um, Karen had asked if another jersey will ever be retired league-wide and under what circumstances. To be honest, I don't think we're ever going to see that happen again outside of an extraordinary circumstance like uh, like an incredibly tragic sudden death, something along the lines of um, oh, who was the uh, Marlins pitcher? I, I'm blanking all of a sudden. Fernandez? Uh, yeah, yeah, something like that. So, you know, a- outside of something like that, I don't see it happening again. Uh, no, you know what? I could see one situation. Where I have one scenario. I-, I could see one situation where it would happen. If we have one of our phenomenal USA softball players come over and play baseball and stick, you know, not just break the barrier, but stick in and stick around for a period of time, I could see that happening. But I, other than that, I really don't see a le- another league-wide um, retirement. Uh, the only other thing maybe would be something tragic, like what happened to the Marshall football team, like a plane crash killing the entire team. But again, that wouldn't be numbers. That would just be a special memorial or something like that. I, I uh, Can you guys think of anything else? My gut reaction was initially no, um, as far as there ever being another number retired. But I do think that we'll eventually get to the point because we need to look at why Jackie Robinson's number was retired. And he broke an insane barrier, um, fought through so much to have that successful career. And, And I think you'll see that. Uh, the number that would be retired will be the, I think the first woman to play in MLB. And and I, I think we'll get there. Uh, It's, it's starting to happen. There's um, women playing in at different levels, you know, collegiate there's, there is a woman playing in the Atlantic league right now. Mm -hmm. So I think we'll get there. And I think that's when you'll see the next number be retired across the entire uh, sport and there's a woman playing um over in the australian professional league as well nasty curveball too 
um, Peter Moylan, uh, former pitcher for the Braves and a whole bunch of other teams. He he's doing color commentary with Bally South now, but before he came back, he was um, actually I, he was either like a special pitching coach to her or he was one of the coaches on her team and got to work with her and said she's got nasty stuff. So, you know, what obviously the level of the level of play in Australia versus the United States significantly different, but you know, you could see a pipeline forming there and I would I would love to see that honestly. All right, uh Joe, how about them cubbies, bud? <laughs> uh well, let's start off with the good with the Cubs. Uh they still continue to lead the majors in hitting across most categories. Um, I know it's early, but hey, I've got to hang my hat on something here. Um, 273 average, 354 on base, 420 slugging, 774 uh, OPS plus for um, the Cubs as a team. Uh, 77 RBIs as a team, which leads the league. Is they tie with the Dodgers for that number. Um, 35 doubles, 13 home runs. Uh, so they're getting it done in a lot of, of ways offensively, at least um, as far as hitting the ball all over the place. So I have to be happy about that. Um, going into last week, I was optimistic they could take maybe get two or three from the Rays. They only got one. Um, they got that game on um, on Monday night. Uh, Patrick Wisdom continued to get hot. He hit a two-run homer. Um Ian Happ had an RBI single. He's continued to be hot. Um, Schwindy City hit an Apo Taco again. Um, that I, some uh, Mexican chain in in Chicago needs to coin that the Schwindel Apo Taco on their menu. Um, and if you do, don't forget who gave you that idea. <laughs> uh, you know, so so they were Schwindel is really starting to get hot, and he's doing it in a lot of ways. Uh, the pitcher for this one for the Rays, McClanahan, six innings, four hits, one run, and nine strikeouts. Normally that gets it done. This this game it didn't for them. The, the Cubs won this one four to two. Um, Hendricks went four and a third, five hits, two runs, six strikeouts. So he was good. wasn't you know his best, but it was good. Um, Keegan Thompson, three point two scoreless innings again, one hit, one walk, five strikeouts. He's really been the bright spot of that bullpen or one of the best spots in that bullpen. The big question for Cub fans is, is he going to get a chance to start or is he going to kind of stay in that long relief role that he's really kind of found his niche in? Um, not really sure just yet um, with that. Uh, game two, Cubs lose this one six to five. Justin Steele gets his first of two losses on the week. Um, two and two thirds, three hits, four runs. Three walks, a homer, and a strikeout. So he's the walks are up a bit. He loses command fairly quickly in a game. So once you get past, you know, first time and through the lineup, his command starts to go a little bit. Um, so we'll we'll see if that you know continues or if we can figure that out. Uh, Wander Franco in this game for the Rays went three for five with the homer, a double, two RBIs. Um, the Rays scored three runs in the third, and that kind of put them in control of this one. Um, Kilridge for, for Tampa had a two-inning save. Uh, Hayward left in the bottom of the fourth. Why he still starts, I have no idea, but we'll get into that in a few minutes. Um, 
Wisdom pinch hit for him and, and hit a two-run homer. Nico had an RBI triple, so Nico's starting to finally hit. Um, Martin is is a bit of a rough reliever for them right now. The stuff might be good, but he's not getting good results at this point. Uh, continues to give up a lot of hits and a lot of runs. Um, game three for them. Mercilessly ended 8-2 to two in the sixth inning due to rain. I wish it could have ended sooner. <laughs> um, Cubs had three errors in this game, two on, on VR and one on Jan Gomes. VR has four of the team's seven errors on the season right now. So he's really having a bad year defensively to start. I know it's early, but I, I, I still think that's a concern to look at. Um, Stroman went four and a third, eight hits, eight runs, seven of them were earned, two walks, seven strikeouts. And those seven strikeouts came after he kind of settled down in the third, fourth, um, and part of the fifth inning. Um, it was five, nothing after two in the group chat. I'm like, why the heck is he still in there? And sure enough, he, he, he looked really good in the third and the fourth, but you know, the fifth and then guys got on the wheels fell off. So, um, Ray's got three runs in the top of the fifth. There's just not enough steady offense in some of these games for these Cubs guys. They're they're hitting the ball all over the place, but they're leaving guys on. They're not hitting with guys at second or third, um, getting those runners in scoring position in. But uh, Swindy had an RBI double. Uh, Nick Magical had an RBI ground out to, to first. Four hits and six left on base. It's, it's not going to get it done. Um, Mejia had a home run and a double for the, the Rays. Lowe had went two for three, had a triple and a double. Uh, so a nice offensive output for um, for the Rays. And I wish that it had, again, ended before the fifth <laughs> with the rain. I, I don't know. Sometimes they make these schedule changes with the rain, and you just don't know how it's going to work out. But anyhow, that was the Rays series. Again, I'm not – Terribly disappointed that they only got one. I was hoping to get two the way that they've been playing. Um, but when you, I mean, when you split the Pirates to start the season in that first week, um, trust me, we're getting to it. Um, when you split the Pirates in the first week, you need to win two out of three against Tampa. If you don't split the Pirates in the first week, only getting one out of three from Tampa, it doesn't feel that bad. Um any thoughts on the race series? No, you nailed it, man. Um, hey, you got one at least. All right, fire the ramp machine up. Yeah, so. I'm just going to say no because I want to hear the rest of this. Okay. So we've, we've got uh, start the series with the Pirates. They move game. Well, this is Thursday. So Thursday, game one, Pittsburgh wins this four to three. Um, Will Crow for the Pirates gets the win with one hit given up two and a third inning and five strikeouts. And that's the only hit that the Cubs got off the bullpen in the entire second half of this game. It was ridiculous. Um, you know, they, they have a lot of, you know, we talked about their, their hitting stats to start this, but you, you've got to get those hits in these games. You can't not get those hits in a game like this. Uh, Lighter Jr. Had his made his next start four innings, three hits, two runs. So he's just still not really figured it out yet. Um, I, I know it's early, but I wish that they would kind of figure out how to do this and how to handle this properly because they haven't yet. Um, the, the three runs for the Cubs in this game 
were on a bases loaded walk, a sack fly, and a a ground out from to third base. You know where a guy scores from third. Um, you know the the t- most like laziest way to score a run. You know the laziest, boring baseball to score runs. Um, that's what they did, and then they didn't do anything after that. Um, Wisdom got pinch hit four with Madrigal, and this goes into my my Ross spiel. I'm gonna kind of save that for the end of this series recap here, but I, I don't, I just don't get it. I don't. Uh, Vogelbach for Pittsburgh had a two run homer in the third. Uh, Sasugo had a RBI double in the fifth. Roberts came in to pitch um, after Junior Leiter Junior went out, and he threw 30 pitches, and I think 15 or 16 of them were cutters. It's just not going to get it done. And when you throw seven cutters to Sasugo in the same spot, you know, Cub fans talking awful lot about how great Wilson is. This was not one of his strongest games behind the plate. You've got to mix it up. You got to do something. Um, you know, so so seven pitches in a row in the same spot, and then he gets an RBI double, and we're supposed to be surprised um, by that. Um, the we, we we've talked for a long time about wacky plays against the the, uh, the Pirates and and Javi's magic goofball goading the first baseman into a pickoff between first and home um, last year, and how we talked about the Pirates for the entire season for that for that one play. This might go the other way for me this year. Ryan Reynolds hits a triple in the seventh on a soft ground ball down the third baseline. First off, how the hell? Now, stats for you. The exit velocity on this hit, 49.4 miles per hour. And the ball travels a, a total distance of 79 feet. Which is crazy enough as it is, right? This is this is MLB the show crap. That's what this is. You know, the, Reynolds just goes, screw it. I'm just going to keep running because we shifted over and we had one guy on that side of the, the, the diamond, you know, in like the shortstop position. And it's just like, he just like, yeah, screw it. I'm just going to keep running. Like, like you, you do that kind of shit on the show. You know, it, it was, that's embarrassing. I really was disappointed. And, and now we get to be the laughing stock of this, you know, joke where the crazy plays happen now for, for the next, you know, few mo- weeks until the next one happens. Um, yeah, so that's just, it's just disappointing the way they've, they've been playing with this week. Uh, game two, they moved this start time from like one o'clock to seven, like two hours before the game because of weather. Um, at Pittsburgh wins this point four to two. Uh, a, you know, an RBI, two RBI singles for Roberto Perez um, and a home run and uh, a two RBI double for Hermosillo, who doesn't get enough plate appearances, thanks to my wonderful manager. Um, the Cubs offense struggles again. They have 10 strikeouts in this game. They had seven hits, but that 10 strikeouts stands out because they were not striking out a lot the first two weeks here. Uh, eight guys left on base. Um, Smiley gets the loss, five innings, six hits, four runs, a walk, four strikeouts, two home runs. Keegan Thompson, again, is, is lights out, four innings, two hits, a walk, and four strikeouts. 
Um, the Cubs had four hits and four and a third against the bullpen for um, the Pirates. The Pirates' bullpen looked like Cy Young out there. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Cy Young and Mariano Rivera. It was just disgusting. Um, Keegan Thompson, some season numbers for you here. 13 and two-thirds innings. He's 2-0, and oh, six hits, one hit batter, McCutcheon, obviously. Uh, three walks, 14 strikeouts. So, you know, he's really having a solid year for them. And, again, the big question is, does he move to a starter role or does he stay in this role? We're kind of waiting to see what happens with Wade Miley and all of that. Um, so that's game two. Game three, this 21 to nothing monstrosity of a baseball game. Um, the Cubs scored 21 runs in this game. The Reds had scored 20 runs in their last 10 games. There's my opportunity to dig at the Reds, um, who thankfully actually, you know, beat the Cardinals on Sunday. So, hey, I got to give them props for that one. Uh, 23 hits in this game uh, for the Cubs and only one home run. I mean, that's the exciting part about this for my club is that they're they're making things happen without the home run. Uh, Pittsburgh had three hits total. Cubs had three strikeouts as a team, 19 RBIs, and 15 for 25 with runners in scoring positions. So they really basically just a massacre occur in this game. It was just brutal um, to see. Hendricks looked really good overall, seven innings. Oh, imagine what happens when you let a guy pitch more than five innings. Um, you know, seven innings, two hits, two strikeouts. Um, and those two strikeouts didn't come to the seventh inning. So he was hitting, a, getting a lot of weak contact and ground balls and um, threw a ton of fastballs. Suzuki went three for four. Wilson went three for five. Ian Happ went three for six, continues to be hot. Nico went four for five, all singles. Uh, Rivas had the home run. It was a three-run homer. He had five RBIs by the fifth inning, I think. So it was quite quite a fun game to watch. Um, in reaction to, to the Pirates not posting the score on Twitter over the weekend, uh, somebody said, look, you, we can live with losing 21 to nothing, but how did you let Jason Hayward get multiple RBIs? <laughs> so, uh, you know, they had all sorts of fun fun things to say. And this was um, fun to see, fun to watch. Um, Frank Schwindel had so much fun. He went to hang out with the fans after the game at Murphy's. So uh, for those lucky Cub fans, that had to be fun to see and fun to hang out with him. Uh, game four, again, um, Steele takes the loss. VR had, again, we've talked about VR. He had a throwing error in this game. He's had four of the team's seven errors. Ian Happ continues to, to hit the ball well. Um, the Cubs run, just a run total for this series. The Cubs outscored Pittsburgh 29 to 12 and lose three of four. How the hell do you do that? The only way you do that, I tell you, is because your manager is David Ross. <laughs> because what they're stuck on Hayward. They play Hayward more than they should. Um, you, you know, you pull wisdom out when you're only a run down. Wisdom can change the, the game with the swing of the bat. Um, and you pull him and put in Nick Madrigal. Not that I, I think Nick Madrigal is a bad ball player, but, you know, I'd rather take VR out than wisdom in that situation. Um, you know, if you're going to, um, you know, he didn't let Nico who had those four hits on Saturday um, play at all yesterday, which I, I just don't get, you know, 
Um, you have an off day today, you know, as we'll touch on later, you have an off day today. The best thing for, for Nico is to get that rhythm and keep that rhythm going into play the eight, the Braves, the White Sox, the Dodgers. I mean, I, I want the guy that, you know, everybody thought we would be, we would be replacing in the off season to really continue to stay in a rhythm. Um, so I just, I still don't get the pitching decisions. I still don't get all of these lineup decisions. Um, you know, again, we've talked about this a ton, but how the heck can you mismanage pitchers so poorly? I don't get it. Um, they really need to make some, some decisions here about Justin Steele and, and Keegan Thompson and, and what you're going to do there. It's just a mess. You know, in one game, the Cubs scored enough runs to drink, <laughs> and they still lose three and four. Man, yeah, and the, that was the number that I had in my mind. I'm like, I'm sure he'll touch <laughs> on it, but I was just going to pose the number of 17 because a 17-run differential and you lose three out of the four is just unheard of. It's insane. Well, it's it's just unacceptable. I mean, let's be real. I, it, it's it's unheard of, but it's also just a joke at this point. Um, you know, the, the the hitting numbers they have, and you're not able to turn that into as many runs as they should be able to, is kind of disappointing. Um, you know, we'll we'll see what they can what they can do and how things shake out. But um, I don't really like the fact that they're playing Hayward as much as they are. Um, they are subbing him out a lot more quickly. Joe, you muted yourself, bud. I, I got it. Um, you know, they're, they're giving him, um, you know, starting at bats, I think just to start him and then they pull him out. But for me, it's, it's, I would rather see Alfonso Rivas, an outfielder who's 26 years old. You have team control of for six years or something like that. Um, I'd rather see you see what you have you know, going into this, the later of the parts of this year and, and kind of figuring out what you had on the roster and in the, and in the organization, um, rather than see an aged outfielder continue to get reps for no reason. I don't want him to get, you know, to get disappeared into the oblivion. I do want him to get some, some games. And I think he's due that, but I don't think that he's due starting just for the sake of starting him. I don't understand that that mentality. It just doesn't make sense to me. Does anything David Ross does make sense? I mean, at this point, I think we can all confirm the answer is a resounding no. <laughs> no, of course he doesn't. I mean, you know, obviously management felt like they wanted to keep Hayward around, and obviously management has a pulse on some of this, you know, between Ricketts and and – Jed wanting to want these guys to, you know, keep him around and get him the get him at bats and all of that, make sure he's playing enough for what he's getting paid. I understand all of those things from a financial standpoint, but you have to be in the business of winning games. And you know, when you have a guy like Rivas, like we've talked about, when you have guys like Suzuki, when you have wisdom, when you've got Ian Hap who's hitting the cover off the ball right now, um, you know, you don't you don't pull you know you don't start with with Hayward and then put wisdom in and 
Wisdom gets the home run and everybody's happy, but why is he even in there all the time? Um, I, I don't like starting guys, again, just for the sake of starting. I have no problem if you want to bring him in late in the game for defense or bring him in for an at-bat, you know, throughout the game or give him a couple innings here and there, but I don't like starting guys just for the sake of starting people. No, I, I completely agree with that. Um, all right. I, I I think we pretty well uh, knocked the Cubs out. <laughs> Um, especially that wonderful 20, at least you have one game where they scored 21 to make your overall run differential look a little better, you know? All right, Jason, it's time to rant about Angel Hernandez. Bring it. Well, we're going to do a quick little recap here um, of the, of the two series this week for the Phils. And then, uh, yeah, it will be time. Um, I still have pent up aggression after last night. Um, so, Phil started out this week against uh, the Rockies. Uh, they were in Colorado. Game one, four to one loss. Uh, Cole went six shutout innings, only gave up two hits to the Phils. Charlie Blackman hit a home run for the Rockies. Aaron Nola, five and a thirds uh, innings pitched, six hits, two earned runs. Nothing spectacular to talk about there. Game two was another loss for the Phillies, uh, six to five this time around. Uh, this was the first game that the bullpen gave up. Uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez ended up getting the loss. The Phils were up four to three, uh, and three run homer was given up by Dominguez to CJ Crone. So that was the killer there. Gibson did okay six innings, six hits, three earned runs. Freeland went fought for the Rockies, went five innings, gave up six hits, and two earned runs. Game three was a 9-6 win for the Phillies. They had a five-run seventh inning, which propelled them to the win. Uh, Eflin went five and two-thirds, gave up eight hits, two earned runs, so not a bad outing there. Marquez for the Rockies went six, gave up eight hits and four earned runs, and Knievel got the save. Knievel has not blown a save yet this year. Um, granted, they haven't really been in many save situations, but it's refreshing to see. Um, and in this game... Uh, we have home runs from Castellanos, Bohm, Schwarber, and Camargo. And Schwarber's went 468 feet to the third deck at Coors, and it was just an absolute blast. Um, I know that it's Colorado, so naturally there's thin air, but that might have been 468 feet and third deck anywhere. It was hit that hard. Uh, and it until... Uh, the Buxton walk-off that we or that we talked about earlier, um, that was the longest home run of the season in all of baseball. So now it's a foot short. Um, so not a great series for the Phils in Colorado. Um, came home to face the Brewers. Game one was a 4-2 win. Uh, basically, the big story here, Alec Bohm, who has been doing fantastically since uh, the night that the fans booed him and, and and he said, I hate this effing place, and then owned up to it and got a standing ovation the next night. Um, he uh, really came through, had a two-run single to give them the lead in the eighth, and that three-run eighth uh, ended up giving them a comeback win. Knievel got another save. Uh, game two was a 5-3 loss. Phils were up 3-0 to start, 
And then Wheeler just lost command, started giving up hits, and uh, they just came back and won 5-3. The, uh, the Brewers did. Uh, Renfro hit a home run for the Brew crew. Wheeler went five, gave up seven hits, four earned runs. Hauser went six, gave up five hits and three earned runs. And then we get to game three. Last night, Sunday night baseball, national television, big stage. Two teams that have fantastic offenses. And it was a one nothing win for the Brewers. That was the first one nothing game at Citizens Bank Park since 2015. Uh, Christian Yelich hit a sacrifice fly in the top of the ninth for the only run. Lauer for the Brew Crew went six, gave up uh, five hits, and had 13 strikeouts. Aaron Nola, the Phillies wasted an amazing start from him. Seven innings, one hit, nine uh, Ks, eight total hits, and eight total hits, and the the story of this game should have been about the pitching duel. The story of this game is Angel Hernandez, who, even by Angel Hernandez standards, had one of the most horrible, terribly umpire games I've ever seen, and. The, the three biggest uh, calls that he missed, he always misses calls, but he he, he missed a, a, a pitch to Andrew McCutcheon on the Brew Crew um, just to show, show you guys that this is not just a Philly fan thing. This, this is a baseball fan thing. Um, there was a pitch to McCutcheon that was well outside, and Hernandez rung Andrew McCutcheon up for strike three. In the ninth inning, bottom of the ninth, Kyle Schwarber is up. Uh, nobody on base, one out. Uh, so one run game, three to the count. Pitches low and outside, and Angel Hernandez rings him up. And we'll get to what happened after that in a moment. Um. The worst call of the night, easily, was a pitch to Gene Segura. Bases loaded, I believe, one out at the time. OO pitch was six inches, over six inches inside. I thought it was going to end up hitting him. And Hernandez called strike one. Next pitch was a ball. So instead of being a 2-0 count, which significantly changes the way the at-bat transpire, transpires, it was 1-1. Segura ends up popping out because he had to try and do something. Phils don't get a run in that inning. After Schwarber struck out in the ninth, and, and you can tell that both sides were so annoyed with Hernandez for this entire game. The ninth inning happens with, with Schwarber, and he slams his bat down, slams his helmet down, and he turns away from Hernandez to do so. And he just starts screaming, and you then see Hernandez Hernandez tossed him, which you knew was going to happen. But I loved his tirade, that sh the tirade that Schwarber had. He was telling him, 
you missed outside. You missed here. You missed up. And he's like, you even you missed it for both teams. He was fighting for the players, not just himself. And the reaction across like social media and even on the broadcast, they were all in support of Schwarber because Angel Hernandez is just he's he he's easily the worst umpire that this sport has ever known and that's even like worse than joe west worse than uh jim joyce you know like this this guy should not be a major league umpire there is absolutely zero accountability in this league and the reason for this austin to answer your question that you posed earlier the reason that he still has a job is only because of the umpire union the MLB does not have control over this. It is all the union because the moment that MLB tries to do something to Angel Hernandez about this, the union comes in. So instead you have somebody who's absolutely terrible for the game doing this. And I'm going to flip over my sheet here because I have some stats for you about Angel Hernandez and this game, especially from last night. So, Last night, Angel Hernandez had 88% accuracy. And yeah, Austin, absolutely. Kyle Schwarber, what, he, he spoke for all of baseball. Um, and, and I love it. I love him for it. I'm so glad he's on my team. And the thing that drives me nuts right now is that there are people who are saying, well, it was too close to take. You need to swing at that. No, you don't. A ball is a ball. It doesn't matter what the umpire strike zone is. A ball is a ball. You can't just you can't be telling people that they basically need to play the show and swing at every single pitch. I do that. So like you're you're basically telling players that they need to swing at pitches that are not strikes. And that is not the player's responsibility. The players in this game have really good eyes. They can tell when a pitch is, it should be a ball. And it, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Angel Hernandez had 88% accuracy last night. The average for major league umpires is usually between about 93 and 95% accuracy. 77% strike accuracy. So one in four pitches that he called a strike last night was a ball. He 11 out of the 48 called strikes were balls last night. He missed 19 calls behind the plate. And six of the batters struck out on pitches that were outside the zone because he just called them strikes. Angel Hernandez has been consistently and historically garbage, and there's still no accountability for him. And the thing with this is, I mean, and even there is a video of fans yelling at him after the game as he's leaving uh, and he's driving this car and he grins at them like he knows he's bad and he does nothing about it. And one thing, first of all, for somebody that blind, I don't know how he can drive a car like. I mean, Angel Hernandez is so bad, he probably thinks Ben Simmons is a good teammate. (laughs) 
Angel Hernandez is so bad, he probably voted would have voted for uh, Jokic as the NBA Most Valuable Player. Angel Hernandez probably roots for the iceberg in Titanic. <laughs> like, this guy should not be a Major League Baseball umpire. He should just not be involved in the game at all. And I, I just... I can't get over how bad he is. I'm not saying that the Phillies should have won the game last night because it was a fantastic pitcher's duel, but Angel Hernandez should not be the star of a game. He <laughs> would have even seen the Titanic. Yeah. Um, but like he, he should not be umpire should not be the stars of the game. And NBC Sports uh, even called called him out for it. It was it was final Phillies zero Brewers one player of the game Angel Hernandez. Like the game is not about the umpires; it is about the players, and it is about like the fans and everything. And and Angel Hernandez just doesn't see it. He feels the need to just be the person in charge of the entire game and, and he needs to be held accountable. All right. So yeah, that's, that, that's all I got right now. <laughs> Since oh, you started talking, Jason, Angel, Angel Hernandez has missed six more calls. <laughs> oh, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I, I mean, you know, we, we've talked about Angel Hernandez like none of us, and I think baseball fans in general just can't stand him. And, and it's not because, like, it, it, it's it's nothing about him himself. It's because he's just so bad at his job. Like, he he Angel Hernandez is so bad at his job. He makes weathermen look accurate. Oh, man. You know, and the funny thing is, just two games prior, he's out at second base, and personally, I think it's it was a correct call. Kutch slid directly at um, Segura, breaking up the double play, and he correctly called runner interference and called both bat, both the batter and, and Kutch it out. And yet, when you get him behind home plate, <laughs> he can't see shit. That, like I don't, I don't mind him in the field. He's not terrible in in the field, and, and he needs to uh, basically the accountability for this is he needs to not be, be he's either not call games from behind the plate, or he needs to not be in the league. Those are two things. I I don't I don't even think umpire school will make a difference. I believe uh, I forget who it was that posted this on Twitter, but the. Uh, the phrase was um, Angel Hernandez wouldn't even be able to see the E at the top of the vision charts at, at the eye doctor. <laughs> um, like, I I just don't understand how he just continuously gets away with being the worst umpire that we have ever seen. I don't know about worst. Um on the page, um, Jeremy Richardson brought up Eric Gregg from 97. Very fair point. 
Ken Kaiser, he made some, you guys might not know too much about him because he was a primarily AL ump, um, was one of the umps who actually lost his job, thankfully, when the uh, ump strike happened and was not rehired by baseball. Um, but Ken Kaiser made some very uh, interesting calls over the years, shall we say, as well. I mean, bad umpiring, it's a part of the game, unfortunately, until we go to a fully robotic strike zone, which even as we saw it in the Atlantic League, even as we saw in the Atlantic League, it's not 100% accurate. There were some missed calls. The umpire had the authority to overrule the robot and chose not to do so. So it's, it's not perfect. Yeah, and, and I'm not one overall for um, the the uh, robo umps and whatnot. But if there was ever a case for robo umps, last night is going to be Exhibit A. Yeah, Angel Hernandez is the case for robo umps. Anybody else behind the plate is not nearly as bad. Um, at Codify Baseball. Angel Hernandez has missed over 2,600 ball and strike calls in the last seven years. And I wish that was a joke. It's not a joke. Um, on, on Twitter, to see some of these bad umpire calls, welcome to the ump show is one. It's hilarious. Uh, so just to see just how, how bad some of these calls are, it's, it's really quite unique. Um, you know, that, that would be one I would follow if I were you. Um, scorecards is one we all look at um, for our fans out there. That's one that you really get to see just how bad these umps are off the good strike zone or the regular strike zone, I guess you want to call it. And Austin makes a good point here. Some umpires, you know, some umpires, you know, they're going to shade one way or they're going to shade the other. But then there's this. Angel's strike zone is utterly unpredictable how he's going to call it other than the fact that he is going to call it badly. Now, that said, yeah, you're right. The worst missed call of the night, I think, was that Segura strike. No question about it. Um, That said, the Schwarber strikeout, that was close enough. When I was playing... Jason, hold on a second. When When I was playing Little League... The one thing my coaches always, always pushed hard on us was don't let the umpire decide the game. If it's close on a two-strike count, take a crack at it, foul it off, and get another pitch. Now, I understand what you're saying, Jason. I do. That was clearly a ball. It should have been called a ball. But at the same time, that wasn't an egregious strike three to me. Not compared to some, not compared to some of his bad misses over the course of the night. That wasn't an egregious miss. I'm not going to say that it was an egregious miss, but it was a miss that impacted the game. And a ball is a ball. If he exactly what Austin just said, if he called a pitch consistently, like if he called that a strike consistently, fine. But he didn't. And there's a big difference, Andrew, between little league and major league baseball. Oh, literally, literally you're getting a lot of fundamentals down. And yes, you know, you're trying to tell kids to protect at, at the plate. These major league hitters know what balls and strikes are. They should not have to adjust 
to an umpire, especially one that just calls whenever he feels like a, a ball. Like whenever he thinks he he just wants to call a strike, he'll call a strike. It doesn't matter where it is. So I, that argument to me is not accurate for this situation because the fact of the matter is it was a ball. It should have been called as such, and Schwarber should have been on first base in the ninth inning. Austin, that's another good point, though. You're always going to have a time where an umpire is going to call a relatively close pitch that is more than a ball than a strike. It's, I know, Jason, I, I, I think, honestly, I think we're both right about this. I, I do. I, that's close enough that I feel like you do need to protect that's close enough that you can just throw your bat on it, knock it foul, get another pitch. But there's again, no way for him to foul that pitch off, though. That 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 pitch was down and outside. There, there's no way in hell that any no. left-handed pitcher, any left-handed batter, would be able to hit that pitch and foul it off. I'm sorry, I've seen plenty of left-handed hitters that that dive out over the plate that could poke that foul. I watched Joey Votto do it in the only series the Reds have been fucking successful in so far this year. Not that type of pitch from, from that hitter. There's, there's no way that, that especially like a left-handed batter in that situation should be expected to foul one off just because the, the umpire might blow the call. Hitters should not be adjusting to umpires. Umpires should be calling balls and strikes properly. They should, they won't, because they're humans, they're not robots. And I get and I get that. But to me, saying that Schwarber is at fault because he didn't swing to try and foul it off is Jason, is ridiculous. I don't think Schwarber's at fault for not swinging. I'm You're just, just saying, saying that he should have swung to try and foul it off. He I'm shouldn't say, have. It was Jason, ball four. Jason, I'm saying he should be protecting the plate in that situation. I think it should have been ball four too. I do. And I'm, I, I absolutely agree with every reason he decided to go ranting on Angel. That set, like I said, I don't think that particular pitch was so egregious of a miss compared to some of the other misses he's had. We, see, umpi we see umpires miss that close to the plate a lot. Not just Angel. We see that across almost every umpire, almost every game. We're going to see at least one strike that's just an inch or two off the plate that should be called a ball like it's called a strike whether it's from the catcher framing the pitch, which let's face it, catchers have gotten extremely good at framing pitches and completely fooling umpires. And we've also seen cases that I have seen uh, multiple Braves games over the last couple of years. The pitcher missed the catcher's spot. The ball was actually a strike, but it was called a ball because the catcher had to move to get the ball. Karen nailed it right. Karen really nailed it. It's hard to adjust when you have no clue what the reference is because, like Austin said, there is no reference with Angel Hernandez. And yes, the frustration is 100% accurate. I, I That I will not deny at all. Yeah, and, and that's exactly why there was no reason for Schwarber to even try to, try to foul that off. There's... Uh, I will I will I will go to my grave saying that Schwarber should have taken that the entire way. Sure. Um, there's there's no there I, I get that it wasn't as bad of a call as everything else, but when you have no idea what you're getting 
from Angel Hernandez, how are you supposed to even know? If he's calling that a strike the entire night, fine. But he wasn't. He was calling strikes whenever he felt like it. He has he no strikes farther off the strike zone than that strikes, which kind of lets me kind of makes me think, hey, if it's even close, I need to take a stab at it because God knows if I'll actually see anything in the zone to take a stab at. Yeah. Which isn't yeah. right either. And I mean, and, and if it what maybe I would think that way if it wasn't a full count. Um, because you know, if it's like two and one or something like that, fine, you know, take take a swing if you if you think it's there. But I don't know. For for me, the the fact of the matter is it was a ball. And yeah. he oh. called it a strike and he shouldn't have. And Angel yeah. Hernandez is uh pure umpiring trash and needs to not be in the league. Yeah, I mean, we're on agreement with every single one of those counts. I've just I I just like I said, that wasn't a horrible missed call. Not like the cigarette. Yes, it was. <laughs> Jason, you're only saying that because it was the ninth inning towards it's, the end of the game. If that it had an was, impact, of course it's I, a horrible know. missed call. It had an impact on the outcome of the game. How can you say that's not a horrible missed call when it's a horrible missed call? It's bad. I wouldn't call it horrible, not like the cigarette pitch. That's horrible. Go ahead, Joe. <laughs> no, no, the Segura pitch was awful. I that I agree with Jason. A, a ball is a ball, and we shouldn't have to, um, you know, to think about that. But um, I, I do think that that there's there's some truth to both to both parts of that. Um, I just I don't know. I mean, Angel Hernandez is so bad. David Ross should be manager of the year. That's how bad Angel Hernandez is. Um, you know, I, I just, to me, it's disappointing that, like you said, the umpire is the story in this game and not the fact that you had an amazing pitcher's duel. The the, the highlight of that ejection is, the, the second highlight other than Schwarber going ballistic is the look on Hader's face when he walks away back to the mound. He's like, oh, yeah, I got one. Oh, yeah. Hater 100% he he knew he got away, got away with that one. <laughs> and and I, I think, like, but there's it, a reason that there were so many strikeouts last night. It, there's a reason it was a good part of that. Like, a good part of those strikeouts, yes, are can be attributed to the pitchers. But, but like I mentioned earlier, there were six batters that were called out on strikes that were actually outside of the strike zone. Um, you had Schwarber, you had uh, McCutcheon, like um, it, he, he, Hernandez just needs to go. He, yeah. Yeah, he, he he's, 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 he's killing the game with, with whenever he uh, umpires behind the plate. I mean, it, it, the league averages in the low nineties for called strike accuracy. I think his average for called strike accuracy is in the mid to low 80s, which is garbage. Especially when you look at what the average for MLB uh, other umpires is between 93 and 95%. I um, just said that. Yeah, like <laughs> No, sorry, I was looking over my thing because I mentioned it earlier. So, oh, gotcha. I was just looking back over my paper so I zoned out for for a second there, but like he yeah, I, I just I, I I can't like there's that phrase like I can't even and with Angel Hernandez I I can't even. 
I mean, it would be it would be one thing if that was the worst call of the night. It, it's a totally different thing when it's stacked up with all of those other bad calls. Like if if that was the only call that he got wrong, I'm not too bitter about that one because that's close. Yeah. But if because he's so bad throughout the game, every call he makes is under a microscope, and every call he makes in a big spot like that looks even worse. Yeah, and you could even see it from both sides um, when they were all at the plate and there were calls that were clearly bad. You could just see it in the body language of both of them, um, like both teams uh, when they were batting. Just and, and the reason that they didn't say anything, and this is the reason. I know people are going kind of after Joe Girardi for uh, and, and Craig Council for not standing up. The reason that they didn't say anything until Schwarber's blow up in the ninth inning is because you so much as give Angel Hernandez a dirty look and he'll throw you out. Yeah. Um, and and you can't, no matter who the umpire is, you can't argue that or you're going to yeah. get tossed automatically. Right. Yeah, that's but, an automatic ejection is arguing balls and strikes. Yeah. And, but, but the thing is, like, Angel, like, you couldn't even. Qu- ask Angel Hernandez about it. Like you turn around and give him a bad look, you're, you're gone, whether you say something or not. Yeah. And, and the reason, the, the only reason that I think Schwarber blew up in the ninth is because it was a ninth inning. He's most likely not getting another at bat. He's not going to necessarily be needed in the field because it was a second out. So he had nothing to lose. So why not speak for all of baseball? Yeah, and and again, it was one of the more entertaining injections I think we're going to see out of any player all year. Let's be honest. Now, now, now so, where does that where does that blow up rank in in major league injections? I mean, that was pretty wild. That was pretty epic. I mean, for this year so far, it's probably number one all time. It was a good one. I don't think it's top ten all time, to be completely honest with you. I mean, Earl Weaver by himself can fill out the top ten. So could Bobby Cox. Um, Lou Pinella could absolutely fill up a whole bunch. Um, uh, I think it depends. For me, it's based off of the the reasoning for it. Um, you see some of the some of the other tirades, you know, happen after bad calls and whatnot, but those the managers and players at that time are fighting more for themselves um or their team whereas Schwarber's probably goes up there as my as one of my favorites for the sole fact that he basically was screaming for all the fans of the game itself like he was telling Angel Hernandez what everybody else was thinking so i i think that's probably why that's one of my favorites um but as far as overall blow-ups, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's up there just be, just because he did not – like he wasn't throwing uh, rosin bag grenades and, <laughs> and, and like taking first base and walking off with it, you know. Um, but I love that he stood up for the game itself last night. Yeah. Yeah, Wilhelm will probably always be number one all time. The Rosin Grenade will forever immortalize him as uh, <laughs> for, for all time rants, I think. 
Um, looking over at the uh, at the post, which uh, Jason, I know you put that up last night. Um, we had a, we had a lot of uh, comments on this. Dan Barnes, he's a joke so bad. Like, how can he do this year in and year out and still have a job? If I sucked at my job that bad, I would get fired. Yeah, and, and Matt White, you know, he made he made a good point. Brewers had the same strike zone as well, but you know, Angel Hernandez is still a joke. Um, Jason, I'll be nice and skip the other parts of those comments. Uh, Matt Libby says literally the reason computer called balls and strikes is coming, and yeah, that's probably true. Uh, like I said, Jeremy Richardson, the 97 Eric Greg flashbacks. Um, our buddy Big Jim from Huddle Up calling this a strike shouldn't be fireable. Human error is a thing. However, when an umpire is as bad as Angel has been for years, he should have already been gone. And yeah, I, you know, that that's really what that's what it boils down to is the utter inconsistency that we've seen out of Angel for all of these years. For and we don't even have to pick last night. You could literally just randomly pick any five, 10 games that Angel Hernandez has been the home plate umpire in his career. And it's, a, you know, he might have one or two decent ones in there. He, you know, blind squirrel can find an acorn sometimes, but the bad games way outweigh the good games. And it's just with Angel, it's just not even close. Um, and yeah, I, I wish I could say, hey, we won't have to deal with him forever, but I just, uh, he's young enough. I don't know when the hell he's going to retire and, you know, baseball's not going to fire him. That's very, very apparent, even though the uh, MLB ump association is not nearly as powerful as the players association, but they have just enough to keep angel in the job, even though let's, let, let's face it. He really shouldn't be anymore. All right, you guys, any more rants about angel, any more one-liners about angel? All right, all right. Let's let's uh stick I'm angel all out. <laughs> kind of like Angel trying to call it a pitch accurately. All right, let's move on. All right, for my hot players of the week, um, I I had a couple. I had um Ty France from Seattle. He had seven runs, three homers, ten RBIs, uh, 500, 552, uh, 885 slash line this week. Um, as much as it pains me to say this, I had Jazz Chisholm Jr. on here as well. He scored four runs, two homers, five, five RBIs, four stolen bases, 273, 304, 591 slash line. Um, Charlie Blackman had a great week. He had eight runs, scored two homers, five RBIs, steal, 444, 500, slash line. And uh, Byron Buxton, I think, is the other guy I'm going to put on there. Five runs, three homers, seven RBIs. A uh, 539, 607 hits, uh, 1.308 slash line. Those are my uh, those are my top four guys for the week. There are all, uh, honestly there was a lot of really good hitting this past week. Um, there are quite a few other guys you could sneak in there as well. Um, Joe, anybody else for you? You're going to put on the hot hitter list. Um, well, I like. I mean, Jazz Chisholm. He's fu he's fun to watch. I think his Euro step home run. Uh, you know coming to the home plate with the arrow step. I think that's pretty fun to watch. It's neat. Something different. Um, I had those two. I had Buxton. Uh, the other one I had was Taylor Ward. And I'm going to, I think, going to do this with, like I do with pitching. Um, to quote Moneyball, he gets on base. Six walks this week. I think that's more walks than Javi had is in his entire career as a Cub. <laughs> So we're not we're not counting IBBs, right? For Javi, right? No, of course, no, of course not. 
Uh, six hits, four runs, a double, one RBI. Again, those numbers aren't eye-popping, but um, 545 on base, six walks, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, that, that gets you in a position to let guys like Trout and Otani do something behind you. Um, yeah, absolutely. You, you know, do so some damage so hat tip to, to him for the most walks this week. Jason, anybody else for you? No, I'll be honest. I spent most of my energy fighting against Angel Hernandez this week, so <laughs> I didn't really get to dive too far into all of those stats this week. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll toss one more honorable mention up. Freddie. You know, Freddie's starting to come alive, and of course it would happen against Atlanta because that's just how baseball works sometimes. All right, looking at the pitchers. Uh, for me, I had a couple. I've got uh, Eric Lauer. He had uh, one win with two quality starts. He had 18 strikeouts in 12 innings, which is just insane. 0.75 ERA and a whip of one. He only walked two guys, too, over the past week, which is utter and utterly insane. Uh, Shane McClanahan pitched really well for the Royals, a win in two quality starts. He had 16 strikeouts, a 208 ERA, 0.77 whip. Um, I'm also going to throw Aaron Nola on the list because it's about time Nola, even though he didn't get the wins, it's about time Nola finally is starting to look like old Nola again. He had 13 strikeouts in 12 innings, 146 ERA, 0.73 whip. And then uh, the other guy I put on there, um, I almost put Freed on, but I'm actually going to put Kyle Wright on. You know, we all know what Max Freed can do when he's really on, but Kyle Wright, he was the fifth overall pick back in the, I would say the 17, I think it was the 2017 draft. And it's just been, he's had a tough time getting things all together, but in his one start to strike out 11 guys, set a new career high. Um, he had a 0.83 whip for the week. And like I, like I mentioned earlier, his ERA is down near the one level right now on the season. I mean, granted, I know it's only three starts and I'm, he's going to get hit at some point, but I, I really love seeing it out of a young guy who's just, he's bounced back and forth between the majors and AAA and actually spent most of the year last year in AAA. And it looks like he's finally getting it together. And I really like to see that. Um, Jason, any other pitchers for you? Um, no, you actually covered, especially the two that I was look was looking at in Laura and Nola. Um, just last night alone was fantastic for both of them. Um, it's it's truly a shame that they didn't get better hits from from the rest of their team, but we won't go backwards. <laughs> it was I I I loved the the way that those two pitched last night was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, truly. Um, Joe, any regular pitchers before we hit the adulting reliever of the relief pitcher of the week? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think. I mean, I'm. I'm uh, again happy with the way Hendricks pitched on Saturday, but outside of that, you covered anybody who who really pitched well this week from a starting standpoint. Um, as far as relievers go, I have four. Um, there is a common theme here. They're either Cub killers or former Cubs um, tonight. Um, so, I mean, let, let someone else rag on the Cubs more than I do. So it only seemed fitting. Um, Bedner for Pittsburgh went three and a third this week, three hits, one walk, eight strikeouts, a .79 whip, and 138 batting average against just this weekend um, against the Cubs. Will Crow for Pittsburgh, 1-0 this week, 3-0. Um, yeah, 
three and a third, I think, or uh, four innings pitched, and it was four hits, no runs, six strikeouts. Uh, his year number so far, Will Crow, 13 and a third, seven hits, one hit batter, four walks, 16 strikeouts, um, eight, 0.83 whip, and a 152 batting average against. So Will Crow is, is doing a lot of good things for Pittsburgh. Um, Eraldis Chapman, three for three in save opportunities, three innings, two hits, three strikeouts. Um, and then Josh Hader, sorry, Jason, uh, four for four in, in uh, save opportunities this week, four innings pitched, one hit, five strikeouts, a .25 whip, and a 0.77 batting average against. Um, you know, he, he was dominant and efficient, so – yeah, he always is, especially against lefties. I mean, I, you know, I, I brought it up during the um, postseason run last year. Freddie Freeman was the first left-handed batter to hit a home run off Hader in a couple years. I mean, the guy just dominates left-handed pitch, left-handed hitters. It's ridiculous. All right, um, my hot teams for the week. I've got the Yankees, the Twins, and I, the Twins are an interesting choice. And I know it's not it's not a great past 10. I think they're only six and four in the past 10, but with the white Sox absolutely tanking, they're on a four game winning streak right now. So they're making the best of the opportunity available to them. I also have the Mariners, the Mets, the Brewers, and uh, what seems like it'll be a perennial choice this year, the Dodgers and the freaking giants. Uh, Jason, any other hot teams for you? Joe? No, it's hard to argue with that. I think the Mets really, they took three or four from the Giants in the first part of the week um, and two out of three in Arizona. So they did what they had to do um, to, to keep, you know, themselves in first place long enough to lose it. <laughs> um, the, the Brewers, you know, winning five out of six was was a good week for them. Um, yeah, again, I, again, the Twins, like you said, it's kind of a, a – a touchy one, but I, I think sweeping the White Sox, taking that one on Monday from Boston and one of three in Kansas City is a good week. I'd take that any day. Yeah. Like I said, when, when the team that's projected to win 90-plus games and destroy your division is on a seven-game skid, if you can't take advantage of that, you're not doing something right. All right, so looking at the upcoming week, uh, we've got Braves Cubbies this week to open up starting tomorrow night. Um, the matchups are going to be Freed versus Stroman, Morton versus Leiter Jr., and Wright versus Smiley. Um, and then the Braves go on the road to Texas, three at the Rangers, Anderson versus Howard, Elder versus Dunning, and Freed versus Hearn. Um, the Cubbies, after the Braves, they go on the road to the Brew Crew, Hendricks versus Hauser, Steele versus Lauer, uh, Stroman versus Burns. Phillies this week, uh, four versus the Rockies, because I guess we're just going to get the Rockies out of the way early this year. Gibson versus Freeland, Eflin versus Marquez, Suarez versus uh, to be announced later, and uh, Wheeler versus Sanzatella, and then three at the Mets, Nola versus McGill, Gibson versus Scherzer, Eflin versus Bassett. You know, Joe, it's going to be a fun, stressful week for the two of us. I honestly can't give you a fair freaking prediction for – which Braves and which Cubs teams are going to show up for any of these games. I like our pitching matchups a little bit more than yours because we've got both Freed and Wright going. Morton, who the hell knows what's going on with him right now. Um, plus, hey, I will always jump at the opportunity to uh, take some free shots at Drew Smiley. 
Uh, I watched so many teams do that last year. It's nice to be on the other end of it. Although now they say that watch the bastard throw a freaking two hitter or some bullshit like that. What do you think, man? Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm like you. I, I think the, the pitching matchups favor you guys quite a bit. I think um, it'll be interesting to see what Cub team shows up this week offensively. Um, you know, if they're the ones who can get a, a ton of hits throughout the game, or if they just get you know, three or four here or five here, six here. Um, you know, this this week was kind of the, the lowest they've been for run scoring other than Saturday. Um, since the season started, they've been scoring four, five, six runs every game. So uh, they're, they're, they're producing a lot of runs. We'll see if they can do that against a team like the Braves. I'm not too optimistic this week. I think I think they pick one of each of those series maybe. I don't think they're going to get more than one out of each series in this week with the, the Braves and the Brew Crew. Yeah, and Jason, this could be this could either be a pretty decent week for the Phillies because I theoretically at home, if the Phillies decide to not play down to their competition like they have a tendency to do, with these pitching matchups, you would think they should at least be able to split the series with the Rockies. Um, I'm going to be honest with you going up to New York. I don't like your matchups other than maybe Nola versus McGill because theoretically McGill should come back down to earth at some point. Not that we've seen any uh, indication of that happening, but Gibson Scherzer, Eflin Bassett, I got to tell you, I don't like those matchups for the Phillies at all. And uh, the week starting out pretty good. Uh, Phil's ended up winning tonight, eight to two. Um, so it's a good start to the week, especially the series against the Rockies. The thing with the Mets Philly series is you never know what's going to happen. Um, so um, on paper, it doesn't look great, but it's still the Mets Phillies rivalries. Um, I tell you what, though, the, the, the series that I'm really interested in this week, um, none of them are actually divisional series because I mean, our teams are having really big rivalry games. So, um, but the there's three series that I want you guys to really look at this week because I think it will be interesting. Uh, the Mariners are at the Rays to start the week, uh, and also to start this week, the Mets are at the Cardinals, uh, which is kind of an interesting matchup. And then later this week, uh, for me, the big series is going to be Astros at the Blue Jays. Yeah, if the Astros are going to start to turn things around, uh, they need to show that they can do it against teams that can match up with them hit for hit. And if there's any team in the American League that you should be worried about matching you hit for hit, it's the freaking Blue Jays. I mean, that team can rake. I mean, Vlad Jr., you know, we've gone on and on about him I don't know how many times already and how many podcast episodes, but... Um, Bichette Jr., he's coming alive right now. I mean, there's just there's not much of a break anywhere in that lineup right now, the way all those guys are hitting. So that's yeah, I, I think you're right, Jason. That's definitely a series to watch. Um uh, I don't know that the Astros are gonna take more than a game, maybe two in that series, but I I wouldn't even be surprised if the Blue Jays say, nah, you know, we're just gonna sweep this. It, it wouldn't shock me, honestly. All right, guys, anything else? Joe, you're good. Jason, you're good. All right. 
So, folks, you can find the audio recordings on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Amazon Music, and Spreaker. You can see us live on our YouTube channel, on Facebook Live, and on Twitter. You can find the merchandise at redbubble.com slash people slash DDAB dash podcast. Follow us on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash dollar dogs and beer. On our Twitter page, at DDAB underscore podcast. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at PyroLord314, Jason's at JRicker300, and Joe's at JoltonJoe35. We are presented by Dark Arrow Podcast, LLC, and we are sponsored by Whiskey and Blade Barbershop and Lidditz. May your dogs always cost a dollar. May your beer always be cold. Have a good week, everybody.